Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you that you have given us this opportunity to uh, to gather on Sukkot this year, uh, that as we get to do so here at Karnayishman Chaim under our sukkah, that we have the blessing of being able to build a sukkah large enough for our community to gather together uh, in your presence to celebrate as one people. Lord, I pray that as we open your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that you will remind us of why we are here and what we are doing. Father, that you will inspire us to move forward uh, in our lives, move forward in the, the day-to-day uh, monotony of life to see the reality of your presence and your glory among us and your call to be a light unto the nations with every part of our being. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen. All right, so this evening, uh, as we've said quite a few times now, we are celebrating Sukkot. I feel really trapped in right now. Those that are used to seeing me on Saturday mornings know I move around a lot. Uh, that apparently is not happening tonight. Uh, but the, the, the beauty of what we're doing tonight is we are celebrating Erev Sukkot. Erev Sukkot is the, uh, the beginning of Sukkot. It's the evening. Uh, remember that biblically uh, the calendar runs from evening to evening, from sundown to sundown. So Erev Sukkot begins at sundown tonight, and it will run through sundown eight days from now, uh, closing out. And so as we celebrate Sukkot this evening, we are welcoming in the reality of what this feast is all about. And we're welcoming the reality that God has, in fact, placed his presence among us. And so if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to talk about kind of the foundations of Sukkot, why we do what we do, and how we do what we do. But in particular, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 39. It says, so on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruits of the land, you are to keep the feast of Adonai for seven days. The first day is to be a Shabbat rest, and the eighth day will also be a Shabbat rest. On the first day, you are to take choice fruits. Uh, of the trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. That's what we just talked about with the lulav. Uh, and then you are to take, uh, uh, rejoice before Adonai your God for seven days. You are to celebrate it, celebrate it as a festival to Adonai for, for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it in the seventh month. You are to live in Sukkot for seven days. All the native-born of Israel are to live in Sukkot. So that, uh, so that your generations may know that I had B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, to dwell in Sukkot uh, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Adonai, your God. So there's a couple of things that are going on here. First and foremost is the why. Why do we celebrate Sukkot? What's the purpose to it, right? We don't live in Israel today, so we're not exactly honoring it specifically the way God called us to, uh, but we still honor it as best we can. We build a sukkah. Many of us will build Sukkot or have built Sukkot in our backyards and are going to spend time under there in Jewish tradition today uh, be, because we don't uh, – the joke is, is that as Jewish people, we don't necessarily like to camp anymore because the last time we did, it took us 40 years to make what should have been a three-day journey. And so camping's not really our favorite thing anymore. Um, but uh, as we celebrate Sukkot, people will either sleep in their sukkah or as is the base minimum, the bare minimum of Jewish tradition and understanding of living in the sukkah is we will eat meals in the sukkah. So many people will build a sukkah in their yard that is at least big enough to fit a table and chairs for their family so that they can eat their meals under the sukkah. Uh, 
uh, here at CMC, we will build, as you can see, this monster sukkah because we want our entire community to take part in the reality of what Sukkot is. We will, during uh, our uh, Shabbat service this weekend, we're going to actually fill this whole place up with tables and we'll do our own egg Shabbat in here in the sukkah on Friday night. Uh, this week, we're going to be camping Friday, Saturday, and Sunday here at the uh, synagogue as a community to celebrate Sukkot together and to build that idea of community. And so we're going to have tables set up under here and have Arab Shabbat dinner as a community under the, the sukkah uh, so that we can all rejoice together and take part in this idea of what Sukkot is all about. And then, of course, tonight we're having our Arab Sukkot service under here. But we're living in this reality of of building the sukkah, practicing what the Word of God says, of living it out in, in some sort of a physical manifestation as best we can and understand. But the beauty of this is the why of why we do this. One is to remind us that our forefathers spent 40 years in the wilderness dwelling in temporary dwelling places similar to this, uh, probably with a little more uh, dry protection uh, to keep the elements out of their, their, their faces. But nonetheless, they stayed in Sukkot. They stayed in temporary dwelling places as we wandered around the wilderness. And the reason we did this was because we were following the presence of God through the wilderness. His presence dwelled in front of us, uh, and we surrounded the tabernacle, the Mishkan of the wilderness with the camps of Israel, and the, the presence of God dwelled on the, the mercy seat and the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle. And whenever it was time to go, his presence would lift. They would break down the tabernacle. They would take all of the, the, the furnishings, and they would follow the presence of God, and the nation of Israel would break down their tents, and the camps of Israel would follow the presence of God through the wilderness, and he would lead them to their next place of rest and ultimately leading them into Eretz Israel, into the promised land, into the land of Israel, uh, in which we would then set up the tabernacle and dwell in his presence there. And so the other reason we do this is because of what we read here in uh, verse 43. It says, so that your generations may know that I had uh, been Israel to dwell in Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. One of the things that we understand in Judaism is a very core principle to who we are is the concept of the door of the door from generation to generation. We understand that the only way that the reality of Judaism will continue to exist is if those of us of the current generation are teaching it to our children and are explaining why we do what we do and what God has done for us and what the word of God means in our lives, and what it's supposed to mean as we move forward and how we are to be a light to the nations and, and so on and so forth. And so we train our children up in this so that they will train their children up in uh, Sukkot and Passover and Shavuot are all feasts that uh, it tells us specifically that we do this so that our children will ask us why. Why do we do this? We have multiple series of books called the Jewish Book of Why because the, the reality is, is we ask a lot of questions and we have questions to questions. We argue a lot and we have arguments to argue. And when we run out of arguments to argue, we argue in other people's names. If you don't believe me, go read the Talmud. That's what it's uh, full of, is Rabbi so-and-so argues in the name of Rabbi so-and-so against Rabbi so-and-so. And then he'll argue again against his own principle to, to be able to continue to argue. Uh, we say where there's two Jews, there's three opinions, which is why suk uh, Sukkah always looks a little bit different in each and every community. That's why we, the way we sing our prayers are somewhat a little bit different as we move around. That's why why we can't even decide on exactly how to pronounce Hebrew, whether it's Ashkenazi or Sephardi or Yemenites or what have you. We have all of these things that go on within Judaism, but ultimately what we realize is, is it really doesn't matter because we are Amechad, we are one people. And everything that we do is for the purpose of making sure that the reality of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is continued from generation to generation. And every tradition within Judaism is defined and decided specifically for that exact purpose. And so when our children sit under the sukkah with us, they look around and they go, you know, this is a really pitiful excuse of a shanty. 
why in the world are we in this thing? I don't know that my kids at 8 and 11 would really, 8 and 10 would really know what a shanty is. But nonetheless, then they go, why in the world do we do this? What are we doing this for? Why are we out here sweating as we build the sukkah? It takes us three days to build and decorate the sukkah here at the synagogue every single year. And every single year we do it. Two years ago, we built the sukkah, spent three days building it and decorating it. We got to have our Arab Sukkot service under it. We got to uh, have our Oneg on Saturday afternoon after uh, synagogue under it. And then immediately after Oneg, we had to get everybody together to rip the whole thing down because that evening a hurricane was coming through. So we spent three days building and decorating the sukkah to be able to use it for two days so that we could ultimately tear it down in about 20 minutes, which, by the way, was really amazing that we pulled that off. Uh, but we had to tear this thing down so that it wouldn't fly away. But we at least got to interact with that reality and have our children understand why we do what we do and move on through it. The other idea is this idea of the lulav and etrog, and it's one of the, the, the most interesting parts of Judaism, uh, or particularly of Sukkot, sorry, because it just seems weird, right? You just saw me spin around in a circle and wave a branch and a lemon-looking fruit around in the air for no real reason at all as far as you're concerned looking at it. It just looks odd. But yet God says do it. And here's what's funny is there's a lot of things that God says do that he doesn't really care if we understand why. He just wants us to do it because he said do it. He's got a reason. And one day we'll find out. As a matter of fact, there's a whole series of commandments in the Torah that we call chukim, uh, the achok, which is singular. Achok is a command that doesn't have a rational understanding for us. Right? There's no rational meaning for it. The, the, the red heifer. Anybody ever read the, the narrative of the red heifer and gone, what in the world was God on when he gave that command? Right? So every single, the whole purpose of the red heifer is to make a bunch of people clean when they interact with this filthy water that's going to be put on them. But in order for them to be, become clean by this water, a whole series of other people have to become unclean for them to become clean. It makes no sense at all. And it's got to be a, a, a cow that's per, a female cow that's perfectly red that doesn't have a single blemish or wound or anything. And they've got to monitor it for a period of time to make sure that it's the right. And, and so on. it just goes beyond our understanding. But then we can look at the whole narrative of the red heifer and the way that the red heifer was sacrificed in Israel and everything that goes on. And we can see that it points directly to Yeshua. And we may not still today understand the why, but we do understand the why. We understand that Yeshua was the image that was being portrayed here and what's going on. But in particular, we have the Lulav and Etrog, and there's a bunch of different explanations as to what the Lulav and Etrog could perhaps mean. One of my favorites is this idea. One explanation of the four species are alluding is that it's alluding to the parts of the human body. Each of the species uh, or its leaves is similar to the shape of the following organ. So the Lulav, which is the the palm branches, uh, similar to that of a spine. It's it's stiff yet malleable, right? Our backs are pretty stiff. Our spine is stiff. It's what keeps us upright and structurally sound. But yet we can bend all the way over and touch the ground. Uh, some of us a little easier than others. And some of us, like me, gravity would tend to pull us down on our faces if we tried. But the ability is technically there. Uh, next is a hadas, uh, which is the, the uh, myrtle, which has the, the look of the eye. Uh, the, the, the willow branch has the look of the mouth. The atrog, the, the, the citron, the lemon-looking fruit, the citrus fruit, looks like a heart. Uh, and so binding them together for the mitzvah of waving the, the lulav and etrog to the Jews shows their desire to consecrate their entire being to the service of God. And so as we look at the lulav and etrog, we see this idea of this image of the human body and that as humans, right, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. We're to give him everything that we are. And so the lulav and etrog uh, tradition tells us is there to remind us that we are to serve God with every ounce of our core and our being and if you think about the fact that the 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 word of genesis tells us that we are created in the image and likeness of god that means that every ounce of our being is in the image and likeness of god 
And we are to dedicate our lives and everything that we are to the reality of serving him with our heart, our soul, and our strength with everything that we are. And that for me, this brings up this idea, and most of you are familiar with this passage from 1 Corinthians 12, but it brings up this idea of what Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 12. And as a community that desires to live out the word of God in its entirety to the best of our ability by the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Look, this isn't anything. We're not sitting under the sukkah tonight. We're not uh, uh, celebrating Sukkot all week. And we're not taking Shabbat off on Saturdays and worshiping on Saturday mornings as a community. And we're not keeping kosher and all this stuff because there's anything particularly easy or awesome or amazing or acceptable by society. You know, we live on the Gulf Coast. We live in the heart of an area that lives off of shrimp and fatback, right? And I can't eat any of it. We don't really want to either. It looks kind of gross, but we can't eat any of it. Why? Because the Bible says so. And most believers in the area would go, but who cares what the Bible says? That's the Old Testament stuff. It doesn't matter. That was for the Jews, but we Christians, we are free to do whatever we want. But is that really what the word of God says? Did Messiah die so that we can have freedom to completely write off two thirds of his word? Or did he die so that we can have a better understanding of how to live in fullness of what he's called us to be? So that he could redeem us from the mistakes and the errors that we've made. We don't celebrate Sukkot because there's anything awesome. I guarantee the people looking in the neighborhoods by us that are looking at this thing going, what in the world is that random building that looks like a runway lit up like it is? And the speaker and they're, they're saying all these funny words and this other guttural language and they're ha this and ha that and whatever. <laughs> what are they doing? This is just strange. This is ridiculous. This is. But the reality is, is the word of God has called us to be a light to the nations. And when we do things like this and our Hanukkah menorah lighting that we do in the public and we invite everybody and their mother out to join with us and we take this time to explain these things and interact with it, the reason we do this is because God's called us to be a light to the nations and he's called the nations who have aligned themselves with the, the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to drive the Jew to jealousy for his God. And so in a Messianic synagogue, we've got Jews and Gentiles coming together to fulfill their calling of driving the nations, to, uh, of being a light to the nations who drive the Jew to jealousy for their God so they can be a light to more of the nations who will be then drive more Jews to jealousy for their God. And ultimately, together, Jew and Gentile, one and Messiah, by the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, live out the word of God in such a fashion that we impact people's lives for the gospel. And it's not because there's anything awesome about it. It's not because there's anything easy. And it's not because we win any special door prize when we get to heaven because we kept kosher. Because it doesn't affect any of that at all. Salvation isn't based off of the actions that we do here and now. Salvation is based off of our faith in the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua. And everything else that we do is merely out of love and honor of who God is. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Now there are various kinds of gifts, but the same Ruach, the same Spirit. There are various kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are various kinds of working, but the same God who works all things and all people. But to each person is given the manifestation of the Ruach to the benefit of all. For to one is given the Ruach, uh, in the Ruach, the, the word of wisdom. To another, a word of knowledge according to the same Ruach. The, to another, faith by the same Ruach. To another, gifts of, of healings by the same Ruach. To another, workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of the Spirit. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit, the same Ruach, activates all these things, distributing to each person individually as he wills for just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of the body though many are one body so also is messiah for in one ruach in one spirit we were all immersed into one body whether jew or greek slave or free and all were made to drink of one ruach 
He goes on in verse 27. Now you are the body of Messiah and members individually. God has put into his community first emissaries, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then healings, helps, leadership, various kinds of tongues. All are not emissaries, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All do not have mir uh, work miracles, do they? All do not have the gift of healing, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? Certain aspects of the body of Messiah, I'd like to hear reread that a few times. All do not interpret, do they, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and still I show you a far better one. If I speak in uh, with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become noisy, uh, a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. Uh, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And uh, he continues back and forth on this over and over and over again. But in verse 13, he says, but now these three remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I want you to understand something. We talked about that, the, the lulav and etrog, and the idea of it being a reminder of the body, right? The spine, the eye, the mouth. Uh, the, the, the heart. Each of these are things that the Torah tells us that we are to, uh, to, to, to have his leading in the way that we live our lives, right? Our mouth is really easy to, to offend people, to speak curse over people, to break people down, to tear people down. And, and as, as human beings, we're really good at hurting people. That's just the reality about it. Uh, the, the proverb says that our tongues are, are powerful instruments, right? That we can speak death and life into people's lives. Uh, our eyes are what the enemy uses more often than not to lure us into temptation, whether it be looking at uh, 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 the opposite sex or it be looking at uh, somebody else's car with envy or it be looking at somebody else's home because you don't have one like it or whatever else it may be. Our eyes are readily leading us down roads of temptation if we allow them. Our spine, the word of God calls us to be chazak, to be strong and courageous and to know that God goes before us and to be fearless in his leading as we follow him. And we often talk about the spine and how often we say, hey, you just need to grow a spine when you're dealing with this, right? You got to have strength about you. The Lord calls us to be chazak, to be strong and, and, and powerful, to follow him. And in the heart, he calls us to love him with our heart, with everything that we are. But when we look at this, it takes it to an even greater understanding. It's not just about the individual, but it's about the body. And just as the individual has many parts that make us live, right? And we got lots of parts we don't even talk about. We got fingers we've got toes we've got you know your, your big toe you kind of fall over if you don't have it but we don't ever think about how important something as simple as a big toe is right we we have gallbladders i don't still don't really know what they do uh some people can live without them but then they've got to change their entire diet because they no longer have that gallbladder to do whatever it whatever it is that it does uh we we have hearts we have brains some of us use them a little more than others and, and some of us need to catch up uh but we have brains we have follicles of hair. Most of you have more than I do uh, at this point. But we have follicles of hair. We got all these parts of our body that God has given us to be in his image and likeness in order to follow his leading, in order to impact the world around us for the truth of his love and his mercy. But just as the human body, just as we as individuals have multiple parts, so does the body of Messiah, right? Each of you have your own spiritual gifts and talents and things that the Lord has specifically created you and recreated you for. Things that he has specifically called you to do. Things that you can do that I can never do. But the reality is, is we have to work together as one body using the Ruach HaKodesh and the gifts of the Ruach HaKodesh that he has placed on us as individuals corporately. 
so that the world around us will see the truth of the mercy, the love, the grace, and the salvation that can only come through Yeshua our Messiah. And the reality is, is we don't have access to these gifts and talents that God has already blessed us with until we are full of the Ruach HaKodesh of the Holy Spirit. Because it's in the Holy Spirit that we are able to submit our own wills and our own minds and our own lives to the will and the heart of our Heavenly Father. It is in the Ruach HaKodesh that we are given the ability to activate or have him activate, rather, these gifts and talents in our own lives. And so some of you are people who the Lord will use and has used to, to, to work miracles in others' lives. Some of you, I know, look, we had a, and some of you heard me talk about this before, we had a healing service on Shavuot a few years back, and uh, I keep feeling this urging to do one again. Uh, and so, who knows, our Shavuot service looks different every year. Maybe it's time to, to recycle that one a little bit. Uh, but we had a, a healing service a few years back on Shavuot. Uh, Shavuot is the day that the Aserat Hadi broke. The ten words were given to the nation of Israel. The day that, that Israel stood at Sinai and saw the presence of God and heard uh, his voice speak. Uh, it's also the same day that Acts 2 occurred with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the Shalosh Regalim. And so we felt the Lord put it in our hearts to have a healing service. We had this healing service. And personally, I wholeheartedly believe in healing. I believe that God moves in this way in a mighty and powerful way today as much as he ever has. I am alive because of the healing work of God. I have seen him do this in my life, in my family's life, and in others' families' lives. But yet there's always that human aspect. And I started going, but what if we do this and we announce it? Nothing happens. But, but, but what if? And just as I said, the tongue has power. And I started to speak this as I was talking to my wife or I was talking to our leadership. But, but what if? And I called rabbi after rabbi after rabbi and pastor friends of mine that I see counsel from and said, hey, I feel like the Lord's leading us to do this, but I'm stuck mentally in the what if. And they said, don't worry about where you're stuck at. If the Lord said do it, just do it and watch him move. And I kid you not, we had people come through. We had somebody come through that had this monster growth on their back. And to this day, I do not remember their name. And I haven't seen them again since. But they had this huge growth on their back. And we started to pray for them. Mark may remember this. We started to pray for them. And I had my hand on his back. And as we're praying for him, it started to shrink. And it shocked me. I kind of jumped back. I was like, what just happened? What, what the heck was that? What's going on? What's going on? And then I felt the Lord say, just keep going. This is what we're here for. Just keep going. So I put my hand back on him. We started to pray again, and it shrank and it shrank, and it was gone. By the time all was said and done, this entire growth was gone, and they were walking right again, and pain was gone, and they were, they were free of this burden that was literally on their back. And I went, if all that happens is that one thing, then great. That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited that that one thing happened. God moved, and that's great. But mentally, I was still in the what if. What if we pray for the next person, and that doesn't happen for them? What if we pray for that? And that doesn't. And God said, don't worry about it. Let me do. Let me do what I'm here to do. And so we just kept praying for people, kept praying. We watched people get up and walk. We watched lives of other people change that weren't even there because somebody came up and asked for prayer for them and so on and so forth. And these weren't things that were happening because of us. I sat there the entire time going, what if? And God said, but what if? I said, but what if it doesn't happen? And God said, but, but what if it does? But what if it, you're breathing because I do this? When I was a kid, I was diagnosed with asthma so severe that if I walked out of my house, I was going to die. They said we lived on a dirt road. They said if I walked out of the front door that I was likely going to die. Uh, by As far as the doctors were concerned, I was going to be a bubble boy for the rest of my life, and that was all there was to it. Uh, I was diagnosed with bronchitis so severe that if I walked out the house, I was going to die. Uh, all at the same time, they thought they had seen a hole on one of my lungs, and they were pretty sure I was going to die. Uh, I, the general consensus was I was going to die at one point or another, which is ultimately the reality. But in that particular situation, they kept saying, you're going to die. You might die. You might die. You're going to be cautious. You're going to be cautious. You might die. And so we went, and we had prayer, and we had prayer. 
prayer and we had prayer. And when I go back for follow-ups to try and figure out what the next step was, they ran x-ray after x-ray after x-ray and test after test after test and, and all of this stuff over and over again. And the doctors are getting mad because they had the old x-rays in their hands from two weeks before and the new x-rays in their hands from right then and there and they couldn't find anything. And they said, I don't know how in the world this happened, but there's nothing there. And my dad goes, I know exactly how it happened. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm breathing because of God's hand in my life. And so you got to understand these things that Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians are real. God does, in fact, do these things. And each and every one of us have been gifted by God in his Ruach HaKodesh, in his Holy Spirit, to be used by him in these facets and in these ways in other people's lives so that other people will come to know the saving grace of Messiah Yeshua. But it takes each of us as individual pieces of this greater body to work together, united as one, for the Lord to be able to use us in the way he wants to use us. That doesn't mean that if we aren't united as one, that God still isn't going to use us. He will. It's just going to be that we won't be as active and involved as he wants us to be. We won't receive the blessing that he's got in store for us in that moment because there's something encouraging about sitting there and praying for somebody as a giant growth on their back shrinks. It's shocking too, but there's something encouraging about it as we go, you know what? I believed and believed and believed that God does this and now seen it firsthand there's something encouraging about that but it takes all of us as one body working together as one body as the lord leads and so as we wave the lulav and etrog there's this reminder of the fact that god has called us corporately not just individually but corporately to dedicate our hearts our souls and our strength to worship and love him and allow him to move through us and as we celebrate sukkot and we wave the lulav and etrog and we sit under this this sukkah and we 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 go through the 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 motions and we go through all the stuff that goes along with it. It's, it's that opportunity for us to be reminded of the fact that God is among us and he moves through us and in us and around us at all times. And when we sit under the sukkah, we get to be reminded of the fact that, you know what, for this one week a year, it doesn't matter where we are, how great our lives are, how miserable our lives are. We get to understand that there was a time where we could only look at God's presence on the other side of the camp. That we can only look at God's presence from a distance on the temple in Jerusalem. But now we get to recognize that his presence is very real in our hearts and in our lives every single day. And this sukkah reminds us of the fact that we are in fact that temporal dwelling place that God desired. Remember, he told David, I don't want a palace. I've never wanted a palace. I didn't want a house of brick and stone made for me. I wanted a temporary dwelling place that I could be with you and move with you. And instead, we built a temple that we left him in and we waved goodbye and said, we'll come back to you when we're done with whatever we're going to do. And by the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, by the outpouring of the blood of Messiah, by the washing atonement of Yeshua, we now have the ability yet again to have his presence dwell temporarily in us. And by temporarily, I don't mean that he's going to leave us and come back again. I mean that our bodies are that temporal dwelling place. Our bodies are now that Mishkan, that tabernacle. And his presence dwells within us. And in Judaism, we have this idea of, of uh, the, the, the speck of light, this, this, this speck of, of the power of God that is in every created being in the world. And in Judaism, there's always this idea of trying to bring this light together, trying to bring these little pieces of light together. And if we can get all of it together at one time, we will see the true radiance of the glory of God. But you know what? We're not that far off on the very idea. 
because as believers in Messiah, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, empowered by the Shachinah, the divine glory of Adonai, that light is truly a part of who we are. And when we come together, you know, this place is lit up right now with all these lights that are in the Sukkot. But the reality is, as people driving by, I guarantee they see something far greater than that. They may not understand it. They may not know what in the world we're doing. But they see the presence of God. Because we are united as one. And the light of Messiah, the, the ray of Messiah, is all around us. And his presence is glowing in our midst. And the world around us will be impacted when we recognize that together we are stronger in the Lord than we are separate. The same goes for the reality of the countless numbers of denominations that exist within the body of Messiah. If we could stop wallowing in all of the things that divide us, that more often than not have nothing to do with salvation, and start coming together united in what we can agree upon, which is the blood atonement of Messiah, I guarantee we can do far greater things for the kingdom of God than we can as individual denominations thousands of times over, individual congregations millions of times over. Imagine if we came together as one, and we experienced this on Shavuot last year when we had this huge Shavuot service and we had six or seven different churches involved and all these people there, and it wasn't our service and it wasn't their service, it was God's service, and we came together as one. Different denominations, Baptist, Pentecostal, uh, 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 Church of God, whatever, all came together, plus this you know, random little Messianic synagogue came together as one people, as one bride of Messiah, which is ultimately all we really are. So imagine what it could look like just as we corporately gather together each and every week in worship every year on the Shalosh Regalim and the other Moedim, the other appointed days. Every single year we gather together as one people. Imagine what it would look like when the body of Messiah gathers together as one people. Laying down all of the things that we argue over that likely really don't matter at all. But coming together in the one thing that does, which is the power and the might of the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua and the presence of his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. So as we go forward on this Shavuot, I want to encourage you to take the time to think about the reality of what God can and wants to do in our lives, of what he desires to do for us as his bride and as his people, as he yearns to move in and through us for the furthering of his kingdom, not ours, as we come together as one bride, because there really is only one, not thousands. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you, Father. We thank you for this Sukkot. We thank you for this reminder from your word of who we are in you. And we thank you for the fact that you've allowed us to dwell in this, uh, the, this, this Sukkah as a reminder of the indwelling of your Ruach HaKodesh, of your Holy Spirit, of your Shekhinah, your divine glory in our midst. Father, I pray that you will breathe, continue to breathe throughout the Sukkot uh, season on us, that as we have spent the last several weeks in focus on repentance, that now we are focused on the idea of dwelling in your presence, Lord, and allowing your presence to dwell among us. Father, breathe upon us mightily and powerfully and allow us to be an even greater example of the reality of the kingdom of God that is here on earth, here and now. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to say the Birchach Wanim over uh, us as a community. Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, who alone is our Sar Shalom, our Prince of Peace, we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen.